Welcome, my lords, to the Well-Earned Comforts Podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Seth. Thank you for joining us on the Walls of Isengard as we explore the many works of Tolkien and discuss life. We're glad to have you as part of our fellowship, as there's no telling where it'll be swept off to. Hope y'all are doing well on the New Year's, January, almost almost the end of the first month of January. Seth, how are those uh, New Year's resolutions going, man? How you doing? I do not have a single New Year's resolution, so I will <laughs> I say I'm doing very, very well with them. <laughs> I figured as much. How about yeah, for I don't yourself? Believe, I don't believe in New Year's resolutions either, actually. So, yeah, I don't have anything. I, I believe in a word of the year is what I use as a word to filter oh. your life with. And like for a word that you pray over that you think about and you just kind of keep in the forefront of your mind as you go through your circumstances of your life. And my word is, is steadfast. Word? Okay. Ah, I like steadfast. That. So, okay. I was being steadfast and good. <laughs> what? Go ahead. Being steadfast in like my faith, being steadfast in my uh, relationship with Ariel, and obviously being steadfast in the house that I'm managing now that we have more people in it, and just all those kind of things. Yeah, that's great. I was going to ask if that was a word that you share, if you keep it close to your heart, but I like that word. That's a that's a good word, especially with all the change that you've got going on. Yeah, definitely. I guess I'll start with my babbling like Bertaber and just keep going here. Uh, but something very exciting to announce to the whole world now that Ariel and I are expecting our first child, our first uh, first newborn baby. We don't have a gender yet. She is nine and a half weeks along nine weeks along now i guess um she but we got you, to hear did you just say she is nine and a ariel ariel's nine and a half weeks long. Uh, okay 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 not... <laughs> all right i was just wondering no we do not know uh boy or girl yet and i really don't care honestly like people say oh what do you want what do you want i was like i don't care like i just i'm so excited i mean seth you know this but like we've been trying for almost a year to have a baby and so you know every month that it doesn't work is just it was just super hard and then we found out on Christmas Day uh, that we were, were pregnant. I I walked into our bedroom because Ariel, we had her parents over and it was Christmas Day. We we're all hanging out. Ariel had been gone in the bedroom for a long time. I was like, what's going on? So I, I walk in there and she's crying. And, and I was like, oh, man, like maybe this is another sign that it didn't happen this month. And And then she holds up the little stick and she says, Sam, what does this mean? And I was like, that means we're pregnant, Ariel. That's that's a plus. That's a plus sign. Like that means she's like, are you sure? I'm like, yes. That's a that's a plus sign, absolutely. And it was just super cool. Like she's she was like, well, I need to know for sure. Like, so she took another test, like the digital test, and for sure enough, yep. said pregnant. And so we were like, yes, let's ask, let's let's go tell your parents because they're just on the other side of the door and they've been waiting for us for like 45 minutes. <laughs> and so we got to celebrate with them on Christmas Day. It was just the perfect gift. Um, pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Yeah, we're we're so happy for you guys. I, we Amanda and I have been praying, and we know how hard this journey has been on you. Even even though you kind of kept it close to your heart until recently, um, but mm-hmm. we're we're super happy for you guys and the fact that you were able to discover that on you know Christmas Day. And I know you've been bursting at the seams <laughs> to kind of tell people and <laughs> yeah, let the yeah. news out there. But you finally were waiting for that ultrasound. What was what was the first thought that went through your head when you actually got to see the ultrasound? Well, so I was, she like, you know, has the image in front of us and, you know, it's moving around cause it's like a picture. She's like getting it to the right spot. And I saw something and, and she like moved it across and I saw something. I was like, wait, was that, was that it? And then she like came back to it and just stopped. And mm-hmm. sure enough, like just, you see the little head, not a little head, the biggest part of it's the head. Yep. <laughs> but then, I mean, I, showed you in that picture you can see the little hands and the little feet yeah, that this yeah. thing has and it's the size of a pecan right now like that's what we're told yeah. but you could see just it's got hands and it's got feet now and it's got a head i was i was blown away i was like i mean to quote the psalms like we are fearfully and wonderfully made like that just took a whole new meaning to me i've always known that from scripture but i mean just to even see how it, it has a heartbeat and it has you know organs and a brain that's forming and everything at at such a small size and such a small age was like yeah god is absolutely real like if you don't believe god is real look at an ultrasound like because there's no way any of this works without him you know he holds all things together and that was just what was kind of going through my mind was like this is absolutely amazing so yeah how was it with hearing 
the rapid heart rate that whoosh, whoosh. it was wild like it was yeah. <laughs> it was really really wild like i mean they they, they showed us because you could show us where the heart was like you could see it flashing on the screen too and it was just going crazy it's like 185 beats per minute. So I was like, is this, is this okay? Is she all right? <laughs> and, and yep, yep. She's like, yep, that's totally fine. Totally normal. She's like, that's a healthy baby. So again, we don't know boy or girl. I don't care either way. Yeah. I'm very, very happy. So yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's awesome. And are you guys, so when Amanda and I found out Evelyn's uh, gender, it was roughly around 20 weeks and they did a 3d ultrasound where we could actually see a 3d image and it was hilarious because oh. Evelyn was sucking her thumb in that image. <laughs> and that, yeah. I mean, she still does that to this day and it's, it's just her and it was her then. And it's, I don't know, you'll experience this as you guys go yeah. down the road, but do you, do you think you'll get to do the 3d ultrasound? I hope so. Ariel's mentioned that already, like something that we want to do. Um, we're going to figure out the gender because Ariel's being flown out to Colorado. Actually, her, my, my mom and, our mom, I should say, uh, yes. our mom and Ariel's mom are flying her out to do like a little baby shower and stuff with Sarah and Maddie and a couple other people. So um, she wants to find out the gender before then so they can mm. kind of plan for that. And sure. so we're going to find out. Uh, she's taking the blood test actually today. Um, oh, so she's so taking the blood test. Finding out way early. Yeah. Yeah. There's a blood okay. test you can do to, to like a genetic yep. blood test thing. Mm-hmm. got to pay for it so you know that's a bummer but it's not that bad and so she's taking the blood test today and then we should have the results probably on thursday of next week and we're we decided not to do like a big old party or anything like that we just we're gonna video record us uh breaking eggs over our head is how ariel wanted it so there's gonna be painted mm-hmm. eggs blue and re- blue and pink or however we decide to do it and the egg they're all gonna be hard-boiled except for the one that is you know, the right color. So we're going to smack, smack eggs on our head a couple times, you know, and then the one that is the right color that is not cooked, is going to splat all over one of our faces. And that's how we'll know. So that's something she saw online making the eggs. Yeah. Yeah. We have a, a close friend. Um, Her name is Kate. She's been one of Ariel's really closest friends since being here. And so she said she'd be willing to do that. So we already gave, like the the center that Ariel's going to for the blood test, they are going to send all the information, like email and phone number to Kate, so that we don't nice. have even the slightest temptation to to look at it. <laughs> so when are you doing that? Are you doing that as soon as the results come in, or are you waiting a little? I have bit no or? idea. Okay. It'll also depend on like her schedule and our schedule, and you know our our foster son's schedule too, and stuff like that. But yeah, all that to that'll, say, that'll be a lot of fun. I'm excited. Me too. It'd be very fun. And our and our foster son said he, he we showed him the picture of the ultrasound and he was like, Wow, it looks looks like a teddy bear. <laughs> Cause it's like little hands were like yeah, circles and yeah. stuff. I was like, Yeah, it kinda does. It's uh, hilarious. So he kind of seemed excited, so that was cool. That's good. That's good. It's hilarious because when she comes out, it'll be the same thing where her head is the biggest well, in Evelyn's <laughs> case, her. I don't know. Yeah, for right, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I when Evelyn was first born, I kept trying to do the YMCA with her, and it was hilarious because her arms would barely reach over her head, so it was impossible to do the YMCA. And just the size <laughs> of the baby's head in proportion to the rest of their body is wild. It's it's basically I mean, like proportionally speaking, similar to what you saw in that ultrasound when when the baby first comes out. Yeah, it's just that everything's is insane. bigger, but the proportions are similar. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's absolutely wild. Like, I, I mean, imagine if that were still the case. Like, my head, I couldn't put my hands over my head. I know. Right now. We'd be it's... like falling around. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a reason it takes them so long to just be able to sit up or lift their head up or do tummy yeah, time true. on their own. So that's true. Develop all and... those muscles. Are you going well, to be able to time off uh-huh? and stuff? Are you going to be able to get some time off? Yes. Yeah. So I will get. Uh, about two weeks paternity leave and I'm thinking about stretching that out to like four weeks where I just do like half days. Um, cause if I'm, nice. you know, can work from eight to 12 in the morning and baby's sleeping with Ariel, you know, pretty much during that time then I can come when uh, baby will be a bit more awake, but yeah, I get, get about two weeks paternity time. So okay. nice. that's good. I'm excited for you and for Ariel. I know how important this is for her too. It's, it's a yeah. big step and it's going to be one you love. Absolutely. 100%. Well, enough about me. What's going on in your life? What are you babbling about? Uh, honestly, just 
stay in the course. We finally got some snow out here. It's, uh, you know, almost February and we finally have some snow that seems to be sticking, which is nice. It's been that cold, rainy crap for yeah. the last few weeks, which has been annoying. But other than that, it's just doing work and coming home and playing with Evelyn and kind of repeating the cycle. So can't really say a whole lot beyond that. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Just dead life, huh? Yes, very much so, which I'm okay with. I'm not, I don't know. It's just a joy to, to play with Evelyn and she's so much more reactive and she smiles and she knows her name and she's rolling over and she's, she knows how to play now. She knows how to play and we'll even have conversations back and forth where she's learning the skill of a conversation without being able to speak words where she'll just like yeah. yell at me and make a random noise and then wait for me to make a random noise at her. <laughs> and then after I'm done, then she'll start and then back. You'll just play tennis yeah. with random noises. And I think it's her way of learning how to like, okay, this is how you converse. Yeah. Yeah. That's adorable. Yeah. It's, it's a blast. It's so much fun. It's cool. Very cool. Well, let's jump into our segment, Riddles in the Dark. Riddles in the Dark, where we're going to find a piece of dialogue to stump the other person with from any of the three books of Lord of the Rings and uh, see if the person can get the character in the context and uh, hopefully the chapter in the book number as well. So uh, I'll go first. We'll see. Seth's been on a roll lately, and I, I don't know if he's just like doing a lot more research than I am, if he's reading these books a lot more in secret, doing something. But uh, hopefully, hopefully we can turn the tides a little bit here. It's okay to just admit that I'm better at this than you are. <laughs> oh, man. I, I don't want to use it, but at the same time, I have to. Like, I, I, I just randomly opened up to this page. You're going to get it in a second, <laughs> but just let me finish reading, okay? Because this is perfect. Okay. <laughs> You speak for me, Gimli, laughed this person, though I would sooner, sooner learn how they came by the wine. One thing you have not found in your hunting, and that's brighter wits, he said, opening an eye. Here you find us sitting on a field of victory amid the plunder of armies, and you wonder how we came by a few well-earned comforts. Yeah, I don't even need, I mean, <laughs> it's as the, the three hunters in Gandalf right up to the walls of Isengard and the name of our podcast. There's no way you just randomly opened up to the name of our it podcast. It is. It literally is right there. <laughs> okay. I mean, All right. That's why I had to say it. I, you need to pick it up, pick another one, but I, okay, I'll, I'll go here. Um, ooh. <laughs> this is actually, this would be a very challenging one. You up for a challenge? Oh, well, maybe the fates are in my hands. I don't know. Sure. <laughs> Okay. Um, I probably wouldn't even get this one, so let's see. They are at first sight. They are at first sight, at any rate, laughed Blank, with sudden relief after reading Blank's letter. But handsome is as handsome does, as we say in the Shire, and I dare say we shall all look much the same after laying in after lying for days in hedges and ditches. One more time, please. <laughs> yeah, I kind of stumbled over that, but here we go. They are, at first sight, any rate, laughed Pippin. Oh, shoot. With <laughs> <laughs> sudden relief after... It's still... Try to guess the context. After reading yeah, yeah, Blank's yeah. letter. But handsome is as handsome does, as we say in the Shire. And I dare say we should all look much the same after laying for days in hedges and ditches. I mean, I would have guessed that would have been Pippin talking anyway. As handsome is as handsome does. Uh, laying in ditches and stuff. I'm I'm torn between I mean this sounds like maybe a fellowship of the ring thing like right, right before they leave the shire when they all kind of convene at either farmer maggots or at brandybuck um or the the force or the manor of buckland um or it's when they're returning to the shire but I don't know which is one. that a guess or is are you gonna keep trying to figure it out or what? From the letter. That also makes me think maybe maybe this is on the way back. Are they at 
the prancing pony on the way back. The Return of the King. They're at the prancing pony. It would take more than a few days or weeks or years of wandering in the wild to make you look like blank, he answered. And you would die at first, unless you are made of sterner stuff than you look to be. Is this when they approach Strider for the first time? Close. It's, yeah, it's when they read Gandalf's letter, when Barlaman finally brings him Gandalf's letter, and and the description of Strider and Pippin's like, oh, well, okay. If Gandalf says it's okay, then I'm friends with you. I'm cool right, with it. Right, right, right. Yep. I got you. That, uh, the, the, the chapter name of that would be just the Prancing <laughs> Pony. Then. No, it's Strider. Oh, duh. Okay. <laughs> Good try, though. Uh, all right. I got a new one. You ready? All right. Let's hear it. If we had come by the main road down from the upper halls, we should have been trapped here. Let us hope that the fire now lies between us and pursuit. Come, there is no time to lose. Hmm. Oh, oh. <laughs> That's Gandalf when they're in Moria. Lee, man, how do you do this? This is crazy. <laughs> it took it's me like, a second. I was like, wait, I wait, wait, I had wait, you. wait. <laughs> no, 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 no. I thought That's, I had uh, you. Gosh dang it. What, what's the word for Is it gosh, gosh for fire? That they say in that, yeah, the orcs are yelling "garsh, garsh" or something like that. So yeah, something along those lines. Yeah, good try though. That was a good one. <sighs> All right, well, <laughs> Seth reigns supreme in our Riddles of the Dark game. <laughs> I mean, you did pretty well. The one I gave you, I think, is even harder. Maybe, maybe. I probably wouldn't have gotten Gandalf from that though. No. No, nah, probably not. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Well, anyways, uh, let's move on to tidings from the fellowship, and uh, all has been pretty quiet um, on on the. F- I was gonna say the Western Front. Is that a title of a show or a movie? I don't know. I think there is a movie called like Quiet on the Eastern Front or something like that. Eastern Front. I don't know. Or it might be. But West, needless to say, know. needless to say, we have no tidings from our fellowship. They have Where's the fellowship, all man? Hope and doubt. <laughs> They are beyond our gaze to see. I hope the fellowship's doing okay. Well, hopefully they'll <laughs> let us know. <laughs> hopefully they'll let us know. We don't have any tidings from the fellowship to share today, but if you have something you'd like us to talk about on the podcast, if it's a thought on Children of Huron or maybe something uh, about your Tolkien story, or if you just want to say hi, you can email me at weckpodcast at gmail.com, even just to introduce yourself. If you're listening and we don't know who you are, we want to know who you are. So introduce yourself. Give us a, a little tidbit about you and why you listen to Tolkien, why you read Tolkien, and uh, we'd love to just kind of discuss that on the podcast. Because again, we are a fellowship. We don't want to be doing this in isolation, and we care about you guys and want to know who you are. So please go ahead and share your uh, tidings with us so that it doesn't seem all uh, dark and dreary like standing on the walls of Minas Tirith as we overlook the Siege of Gondor. Well played. (laughs) Anyway, moving on to the meat and potatoes of the podcast. So we left off uh, chapter uh, five of Children of Hurin, and uh, here the tale turns back to Turin and his kind of his exile, his his wandering of uh, of the woods. So... He thought he was an outlaw, and this chapter is called Among the Outlaws, so obviously that's going to be a theme moving forward. But he thought he was an outlaw because of what happened with the death of Saros. Uh, if you remember, he was messing with him. He actually attacked Turin. Turin beat him and then started messing with him, chased him around with, a, with his sword, and then Saros butt-naked jumped. Naked. Yep. Yeah, and jumped to his death. And so, you know, Turin thought, okay, everyone's going to blame me for the death. I got to run uh, and be an outlaw. So he goes to the woods of Teeglin near Brethel, and uh, all this region was under fear of orcs and outlaws because there was just a lot of homelessness there, a lot of uh, villages and houses that had been ransacked by the orcs, and uh, people would be waylaid by either orcs or these outlaws because they just needed to kind of survive. It was very, uh, uh, what's, what's, what's a dystopian kind of feeling? Everyone's kind of out for themselves in a way, but... A particular group of men were greatly feared by the people in, in this uh, realm, and these guys were called the Gwarwraith. Is that right? Gwarwraith? Gowerwraith. How does... I think in the audiobook it pronounces Gowerwraith. 
Gower. I was gonna say, how does Gower Christopher Wraith. Lee say it? Yeah, he, Gower I believe he pronounces it Gowerwaith. Okay, gotcha. Well, these were uh, also known as the Wolfmen. When I first read this, uh, I thought Wolfmen meant like maybe they were werewolves or like part wolves or something, but that's actually not the case. Um, they were just men who would go around and actually specifically in the wintertime, they would go around and, and kind of steal from people. They would waylay people. They just, they were outlaws. They did whatever they wanted to survive and they did anything that they wanted to do. They were not under any kind of rule or, or law. And so this was a company of about 60 men that banded together and uh, they, they were hated amongst the people almost as much as orcs. So you think of like, obviously orcs are the ones that would be, you know, natural to hate as minions of Morgoth, and yet these are these are men. These are kind of wild men that are hated by everyone else because they're very selfish and just taking whatever they they need to survive. Um, but the hardest of hearts in the company was owned by Androg, and we'll have a lot more of dialogue between him moving forward. But he was hunted for slaying a woman. So again, they just kind of did whatever they want. So a lot of them have done some pretty pretty nasty stuff, and we'll see moving forward some some other things that go down. But um, uh, among the company was also old Algund, the oldest of the fellowship, and their leader Forweg. And he was actually a pretty generous guy at times, and he he took the looks of a man of the House of Hador, even though he was like far removed. Like you could see maybe a resemblance of him in that in that, but you know, it was, again, he's he's a wild man. He's been out in the wild for a long time, so you see just maybe a glimpse of it. So this fellowship of outlaws were made aware of Turin, which is interesting because Turin's actually a pretty stealthy guy. Like Belig taught him how to be a woodsman, so he must just be very careless right now to be stumbled upon by these group of wild men. But uh, uh, regardless, they are made aware of him and they spring around him, making a circle around him and draw their swords and their bows. And so Turin halted, and, and I mean, he didn't like show any fear, of course, because he's Turin, he's not going to show fear, but he was taken aback maybe a little bit. But he decides he needs to be the one to speak first. And so he he asks who the men were, and perhaps rather unwisely, he, he takes a jab by them by saying, for I thought only orcs waylaid men. I see that I am mistaken. So he's kind of even just shooting down their character right then and there from the get-go, not even knowing who these guys were, just doing a little humorous jab at them. Yeah, I, I Tolkien doesn't say this at all, but I almost wonder if Turin was kind of tracking them and let them stumble upon him. Mm. Just because of like what you said, I mean, Beleg taught him the woods and he's the most crafty woodsman of his age, you know, of this age. And so, like you said, I don't really believe that he just had no idea unless he was just lost in his own thought and his own despair of everything that had happened you know, and running from Doria. Could be, but yeah. Huh. Who knows? Um, but yeah, after Turin kind of arrogantly uh, speaks to these men, Forweg, who is, he's one of these outlaws that have Turin surrounded. Um, he basically told Turin, he's responding to Turin's arrogance uh, and see that he's like, I am mistaken. And he looks at him, he basically says, you may rue the mistake because we'll waylay and take anybody who can't provide payment or ransom uh, because these are our lands and we're outlaws. We're going to do what we want, um, which is interesting because, again, Turin's completely outnumbered and it, this, this statement amused him. And we, we know Turin, we know how much pride he has, but he's also incredibly skillful. So it's kind of an interesting combination of pride and, and skill. And he has a reason to be prideful, but sometimes it you know, goes a little too far. And so he actually laughed at them. He's outnumbered like crazy and he's laughing at him. And he basically says, yeah, you're not going to get any ransom from me. Um, and that a lot of you guys are going to die before you kill me. Uh, <laughs> and even though they were encircling him and had arrows pointed at him and everything, he's always just looking for a way to better his position. So where they have him surrounded, he's kind of standing by the stream's edge and he just glances down and sees some rocks. And this kind of makes me think of the hobbits and how accurately they can fling rocks. And it's interesting how Tolkien goes out of his way to talk about how good they are at throwing yeah. things. But that's just kind of what I picture in my head with this scene is uh, he sees some stones on the ground and he reaches down to pick one up. And as he does that, one of the men actually looses his arrow and tries to shoot him. And Turin, it misses him, it goes right over his head, and Turin, standing up in the blink of an eye, just flicks his wrist, just domes this guy with the rock, and actually kills him. David and Goliath style. Um, and, 
What's David that? and Goliath style. A little bit, except it's more like Goliath right. <laughs> throwing the rock. Turin is Goliath, but yes, yeah. <laughs> um, but Turin, he doesn't even like he doesn't even regret that he just killed this guy. And as prideful as ever, he just stands up and he's like, "Well, I might be more of I might be more service to you alive than place of that luckless man." And then he looked over um, to Fourweg and he says, "If you are the captain." Uh, you should not allow your men to shoot without command. And Forweg is kind of abashed by that. And he's like, yeah, I mean, I don't really allow that. I didn't, I, he shouldn't have done that. And I like the way he phrases this. He's like, but that guy was rebuked swiftly enough for, for uh, disobeying my orders. He's just like, ah, well, he's gone, but maybe you would take his place. If you'll, if you'll listen to my orders better. And at this point there's, you know, everybody's still surrounding Turin and Forweg kind of goes, all right, let's, uh, Let's let you join. And Turin says, all right, as long as nobody is opposed to me joining, I'll join. And two men uh, by the names of Orad and Androg. Um, Androg is actually of Dor Loman. So it makes me wonder, did he knew? Did he know who Hurin was? Like Turin's dad? Did he know who he was at one point? If he was a man of that land before the Nir Nyeth? I don't know. Um, but he was a close friend. These two guys were close friends of of the gentleman, and I say that lightly, that Turin domed with the rock. And they cried out against him and said, no, he shouldn't be able to join. Should we really let somebody join who just killed one of our best men? Um, and Turin, like, you know, shoulders back, chest out, walks up to him and offered to fight them both two on one. <laughs> and Orad backed up and was like, nope, nope, not me. And Androg actually dropped his bow. He was, a, he was known for being an archer. He drops his bow. And basically just elevators. I kind of imagine like some creepy old man staring at a girl, like the way, you know, like the elevator. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Up uh, and down. I kind of imagine Androg doing that to Turin and he just kind of sighs. He's like, he says, I'm not a chicken heart as men well know, but I am not your match. None here is, I think, which is interesting because he's earned some kind of reputation amongst the outlaws. Cause he says, as men well know, um, but yet yeah, he's still like, ah, there's not a chance I'm taking you on. Yeah. And Androg is an interesting character that kind of resurfaces. We don't really see a whole lot of the actual outlaws by name throughout the next, you know, journey here. But Androg is one that kind of keeps popping up. And one thing we always see about him is he's always looking out for himself. I mean, he's arrogant, he's rude. He's honestly very evil at times. And yet whenever there's an opportunity like to, go fight somebody he's like ah well is this going to benefit me i'm going to make sure that i have my life first before anything else but we'll see that later on as as i yep. said so then turin introduces himself not as turin um again maybe uh, that would have made sense to androg like knowing turin beforehand you know he may have been able to connect those dots but he doesn't name himself turin instead he gives himself a different name which means uh, the wronged i believe it's pronounced nathan or nathan uh and E I T H A N, so Nathan or Nathan. Like I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but he uh, he names himself the Wronged, thinking again that he was an outlaw from Thingol and Melian and Doriath. And so the men, the outlaws with him, could see that he was a man of high stature that had fallen, you know, from some reason, because he also still had all the mail and weapons from the elves over in Doriath. So. Turin joins the company, and as time went on, the men began to trust Turin because he was strong and valiant, and he had more skill in the woods than they, because if you remember, he was taught by Beleg, so he was you know, taught by the best elf already, and so he had a lot of skill, had a lot of things to teach them, and Tolkien says that he was not greedy, and that he took little thought for himself, but they feared him because of his sudden angers, and they seldom understood that, and so again, you think he's kind of quiet, he's kind of keeps to himself but then he can outburst at certain times whatever the reason may be and and it just it's scary because he's so mighty and so powerful and so strong and his mood can turn like that yeah i kind of imagine him being rather stoic and just kind of being along for the ride in this group he found somewhere that you know maybe he could belong for a little bit after being in the woods all alone and he's just kind of i almost imagine him being stoic and maybe even a little depressed about you know the life that he had and everything where he wants to go in life and so he just he looks out for them and you know his outlaw buddies but every now and then he just snaps and that is just so it's like the, the telling thing about him is his pride and his anger and the fact that he doesn't really have a very good 
control over either of them. Yeah, and because of this, he did little to cause strife with them. So even though I'm sure Androg threw some jabs his way during the time he spent with them, he he really did try to keep to himself. He didn't want those anger outbursts that he couldn't control just pop up out of nowhere. So he he tried to keep to himself, and and he didn't restrain the evil deeds of the men, which is something we'll see really important coming along here in a minute. But it's interesting that Turin he understands like he has this moral compass, and yet because he's being a peacekeeper like he doesn't want to tell them what they're doing is wrong or even stop them from doing that because he doesn't want to cause strife within within the group but in the winter the outlaws often raided the small homesteads of the men living in the woods of teaglin uh, oftentimes for food but the men attempted to set out food so the people would be like all right don't raid us we'll give you food um for these guarwaiths or the the wolf men in hopes of avoiding conflict but the Tolkien says that their fences and their dogs proved as better guards. So, you know, the, the, the company didn't really care if they put out the food. They're still going to raid things. They're still going to take things over unless they had, you know, proper fences and, and good guard dogs, which my dog Pippin would not be one of them. He would not be a good guard dog. Mine neither. <laughs> <laughs> not even a little. But when spring came, uh, springtime came, Turin wondered why Foreg didn't lead them further away from the woodsmen who might band together to hunt them down because he was worried about these guys banding together and and taking them out because again they've been raiding and they've been a nuisance for so long so he kind of wondered why Forwig hadn't led them away already and so you know days go by then there's one day turn noticed that Forwig and Androg were missing and he wondered about this he's like where where's my captain where's the leaders of this company so he asked some of the other men what where they had gone and their their response is interesting they they laughed at him and they laughed and replied they said Away on business of their own, I guess. They'll be back before long, and then we shall move. In haste, maybe, for we shall be lucky if they do not bring the hive bees after them. So, again, this is a great way of Tolkien describing what's about to happen. Is This becomes one of the more graphic parts of this story so far, and uh, just as the story of Baron Luthien with Morgoth, where Morgoth is seeing Luthien in front of him dance as she's putting him in a trance, he's thinking about all the things that he would do to her you know um but tolkien doesn't actually say that he just he just says so beautifully he, he paints the picture of the story without actually saying what's happening and so we see that here again yeah you understand the gravity of it without having to go into explicit detail like a lot of uh i'll say less skilled writers or uh, show writers uh tend to do yeah and that's that's one of the reasons like i'd love to get into game of thrones i think i've heard amazing things about the story and the action and you know the fantasy of it but because of that just very explicit portion of the shows that are so overwhelmingly obvious you know i I'm, i steer clear because i don't want to bring that into my life and into my brain but i would love to see the the storyline and the fantasy but unfortunately J.R.R. martin unlike J.R. tolkien or george R. R. martin i guess um he said, here it is. This is it in its entirety and its nakedness. And yet Tolkien's like, I can make something very serious and very heavy without putting it in your face and shoving it in your face. Yeah, which, like I said, I think is just the skill of Tolkien. I think he is just, or he was such a, you know, gifted writer and his imagination was so good that he could explain things and show you things without actually having to make them as explicit as they do these days. Uh, he was just a much better writer, in my opinion. Yep, I agree. Um, so after, anyways, getting back to this, after, you know, the other outlaws say this to Tour, and he's kind of confused, like he doesn't quite pick up on it. And I imagine this is because, like Sam mentioned, he has that moral compass a little bit. He's kind of, you know, he's kind of taking a step back and letting the outlaws do what they want, but he still has this moral compass in the back of his brain. And so he's, is kind of curious like i don't really understand everything um that they just said but whatever i'm gonna go take a walk in the woods and as he's walking through the woods he's kind of daydreaming rem- reminiscing about his time in doriath and spending time with Belleg, and he's just kind of thinking like what what life i had and now where i'm at and all these things um and then out of the blue just suddenly a woman came crashing through the brambles of the forest and like tripped and fell over and he went rushing over to her um and tolkien says her clothes were rent by thorns and she was in great fear and tripping she fell to the ground um so turin thinks that there's orcs after him after her so he draws his sword and he leaps after her to go rescue her um and 
as soon as she as soon as he gets to her a man comes through the woods right after her and without even thinking Turin just takes him out just hews him to the ground and kills him immediately which again is very much of Turin's personality it's it's react and then think not think and then react and so he doesn't know who he just killed and as it turns out it was actually Forweg that he killed the leader of these outlaws this group of outlaws and he looked down at him and he was confused. He didn't understand, like, why Why did I just kill Forweg? Why is he chasing this girl? Why is she scared of him? He's trying to figure it all out. And a couple seconds later, Androg comes by and he yells at him and he just out, shouts, evil work, Nathan. Which is interesting to me that he says evil work because if you think about it, what Forweg and Androg were participating in is evil work. Oh, incredible, but yeah. But here is Androg. Yeah, but here's Androg could, you know, accusing Turin of evil work for killing Androg, which I don't know, in my mind, I'd say that's, you know, not an unjust uh, reward for what they were trying to do. Mm. Um, anyways, and Turin yells back at him. He's like, where are the orcs then? Have you outrun them to help her? And because he still hasn't quite caught up to what's going on. Yeah, he's still naive to thinking that they were maybe even trying to save her or that they were trying to take care of her. And he hasn't, it hasn't clicked yet that these men would be that evil like he he that's not even a part of the question yet yeah yeah he still has that moral compass um and androg looks at him confused and he says orcs you fool you call yourself an outlaw outlaws know no law but their needs look to your own nathan and leave us to ours which is like oh okay um so i think at, at this point turin's mind goes i understand yeah. um and at this point, he basically tells um, Androg that he needs to leave the woman alone. And the woman's on the ground like she's kind of interesting. She's like crying for help. But she's also saying like, Lord, kill him, kill him and then take their heads to my father and he'll reward you greatly for two wolf heads is, you know, um, of great reward. And she's probably like, wow, this guy just saved my life. I can in increase my standing. He's a lordly man. If I can, you know, if I can get him to like me, I, it's good for me. Um, and Turin's basically just like, no, like go home, tell your dad to tell your father to keep you better is how he phrases yeah. it. Um, is he's like, no, I don't, I don't want the girl, but I also want her to be safe. And so, um, Turin basically tells Androg, he's like, all right, well, you can come at me if you want. We can, we can duke this out again. Um, and Androg, I don't think he quite understands that Turin is not of the same mind. But he just kind of laughs at him and he's like, if that's the way of it, have your will. I will make no claim to match you alone, but our fellows may take this slang ill. Which is interesting because yet again, Androg is just not, he's not going to match to her in one-on-one. -on -one. He, like you mentioned earlier, he's always on the lookout for himself. And he's, he's kind of calculated is the way I kind of see him. He's, he's calculated in that like, okay, I will take advantage where I can and back off where I know I need to. Yeah. He's not prideful to the same extent as Turin is. Yeah. Um, and so Turin sends her back and, like I said, tells her father to keep her better. Um, and so, and then he basically tells Androg, he's like, all right, grab his gear, grab his, you know, anything that's useful, his mail, his, his sword, bring it back to camp. And then Turin, as he's walking back to camp, he overhears the muttering um, of the other outlaws about Forweg, and the other outlaws are basically saying, "Like, hey, he's keeping us in one place for too long. Uh, at you know, we're going to run hazard of getting attacked by these, you know, these uh, settlers and everything if if we don't get out of here. And this is all for his own pleasure. So the rest of the outlaws know what's going on. Um, and at this point, Turin, as he's overhearing this, he just leaps in front of them, and I can. I kind of imagine like those scenes in the in the fellow well actually all three Lord of the Rings books where in the books not so much in the movies but in the books like a change come over comes over Aragorn every yeah. now and then yeah. and everybody who sees him it's like wow he is the king like it's revealed to them I kind of imagine this type of thing where he jumps in front of him he's like well then t choose a new captain for Forwig can lead you no longer he is dead and I imagine that like he jumps in front of him and they're like oh snap this is somebody we can follow. Um, and so after some time, Androg comes back and he's chatting with the outlaws and 
you know, the outlaws are confused, like what the heck happened? And, and Androg is verifying the account of everything that happened and, and basically says, yeah, he killed Androg, but he didn't kill me, which I'm thankful for, but I don't, or yeah, he kills Forweg, but didn't kill Androg and Androg's like, yeah, he didn't kill me for which I'm grateful, but very confused about. And Turin, this is kind of when he has that shift from peacekeeper, like Sam mentioned earlier, to peacemaker. He's he's finally seen enough of the evil deeds. I think if something finally clicked in his brain, he's like, I'm going to lead this group and we're no longer going to be these rogue outlaws attacking men and elves and anybody we want just to feed our own needs. We're actually going to go far away from men and make war against against the orcs. And so Turin basically just says to the whole group that, I'll take you into the wild, far away from the houses of men, and we will no longer hunt our own kind. So if you remember, Beleg, this is where the story turns from Turin becoming captain to now Beleg's pursuit of Turin. Because if you remember, Thingol and Melian tasked him with going out and finding Turin to bring him back to tell him he wasn't an outlaw anymore. And so Beleg went out with a bunch of other people, a bunch of other messengers, and they all sought for Turin. But each one of them failed to find him when winter came, and they turned back and went back to Doriath, all except for Beleg. Again, he was the the best woodsman around, and so he searched for Turin for almost a year before he came across a really strange tale of this lordly man or an elf warrior who slew this wolf man and rescued the daughter of Larnak. So he went and found Larnak, and he talked with him for a little bit and realized that the person who rescued his daughter was... Turin. He's like, this has to be him. This is the perfect description of Turin, like a man of house of the house of Hador, lordly, you know, uh, protecting this girl as well. Like he's not a wild man. This is this must be Turin. So Beleg left in the direction in which Turin and his company had gone, and he found their camps, but always after the company had moved on. Uh, for Turin was always a step ahead of Beleg, and so Beleg even joked to himself, and he said something along the lines of, "He's like." Alas, too well did I teach the child of men the craft of wood and field. So he's like, dang, man, I, I taught him even better than I am, and I can't keep up with him. Uh, but at this time, orcs were coming into the land and attacking the villages and, and sacking homesteads. And so Turin and his company, because they were aware of these orcs, but didn't have enough men to meet them head on in battle, Turin uh, was like, I need to protect my guys. I need to find a different place to go because I can't fight these orcs. And so he and one of his men, Orleg, were out away from the company, but they were spotted by some orcs, um, by some scouts that were roaming the land. And so Turin and Orig, they slow two of the scouts, but one of them got away. And this guy shouted, Golug, Golug, which is the name they had for the Noldor. So one of the orcs gets away and he's he's shouting like, there's there's a lordly person here, maybe an elf, maybe a man, but it's it's someone worth fearing as he's running away. Yeah, it's interesting, like you mentioned, that he says the Golu, Golu, because that's Noldor. So he he runs into Turin and thinks he's an, a Noldor, a Noldorian elf. And so that just kind of puts into perspective what kind of presence Turin uh, commands. And so at this point, uh, the orcs, because it was a large company of orcs, all these orcs start... Um, fanning out into the woods to try to capture the couple of, you know, what they think are Noldor. And unfortunately, uh, Orleg, which was the companion of of Turin that had gone out scouting, took many arrows uh, and they killed him, shooting him down in the back, kind of Boromir style, if you will. Um, And so after that, Turin decides, okay, I'm not going to bring this massive host of orcs towards my camp. I got to draw them away. So he draws them away and Thankfully, his elven male blocks a few of the arrows that actually ended up striking him. So I can only imagine that he's got crazy bruises from those arrows that had nailed him and he's running away and trying to trying to lead him away. Um, and eventually he reads them or leads them towards door or uh, to towards Nargothrond. And if you remember in the tale of Baron and Luthien, uh, Baron just held his ring up high and he knew he was being watched the second he went into that forest. And even though he couldn't see anybody and he didn't know where they were, he just knew that he was being watched. And so I, I can only imagine that the, the woods of Nargothrond have this reputation. And so the orcs are like, okay, that's where we stop. We'll chase until we get to this point, but we know once they get there, they're safe. And so Turin 
runs way into the woods of Nargothrond and the orcs decide to give up and, and, and go back because they were afraid of rousing all the elves. Um, so while Turin's off trying to lead them away, Beleg uh, actually finds the company. He, he walks in and they're, I think they're huddled in like a cave or something, aren't yeah, they? Yeah. It's something like that. A cave um, they're hiding in. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Beleg kind of shows up on the outskirts of the fire and he's got his hands up and he shows, shows himself and he's like, Hey, I'm looking for Nathan. I'm looking for your leader that you call Nathan. And I, I can only imagine he was able to find them because they had stayed there for three straight days. Whereas if Turin had come right back, he probably would have continued moving them around. And that's a good um, point at one point. Yeah. And at one point, uh, Tolkien even says that the outlaws were aware of somebody following them and they couldn't quite shake them, but they didn't know what was following them. And it was actually Belek. So because they had stayed put for so long, uh, Belek actually comes and and he finds them. And the the men of the the outlaw group just want to kill him right away. They're just like, who is this? He's an elf. We don't like elves. We're going to just kill you right away. And Androg, again, he's calculated. He's probably fearing for his own skin. He says something along the lines of, hey, if Turin does come back and this guy claims to know Turin and we kill Turin, that's not going to go well for us. Like, it, it's really going to piss him off. Um, and so they decided, okay, well, we're going to take away all his weapons and we're going to tie him up and we'll decide what to do with him. Yeah, and so they debated back and forth trying to figure out what to do with them. And this whole time, Belix, he's trying to explain that he's a friend of Nathan. He was here to bring good tidings. He's like, I've got really good news for Nathan. And these outlaws weren't convinced that his purposes were for good. And they even asked him, like, what's this good news? And he's like, well, it, it's not for you. It's for Turin, so I can't really say. And so, again, they were just like, oh, I don't, we don't know what to do with this guy. So they just lead him tied up because they didn't want to kill him because if Turin did come back, then Turin would be pissed that they killed somebody that he cared about if, if this guy's telling the truth. So instead, they just tie him up and they don't give him any food or water for, for the next two days. He doesn't eat or drink anything and he's tied up against a tree. So pretty awful way to treat your guest, um, if, if you will. Yeah, they didn't kill him, but... <laughs> Yeah, they might as well. Not taking it easy on him either. (laughs) Yeah. So then Turin comes back, and he comes back to the company after leading the orcs away, and I imagine he's probably tired and exhausted and hungry too, because he was out in the wild for the last five days now. And he comes in, and he's kind of swaying into the cave, and he looks at this haggard body and a face of somebody that he recognizes as a friend of old. And and Tolkien says he once he realized who it was, he was stricken as with a shaft and if as if at the sudden melting of a frost tears long unshed filled his eyes tears long unshed filled his eyes so he he had been pushing away his emotions pushing away his history in doriath forgetting all that life behind him and when he sees that his friend beleg he just starts weeping and so he ran to his friend he cut his bonds that were holding on the tree and he was like guys what happened so he starts telling all all the woods all his outlaws like you need to tell me what happened like this is a good friend of mine And so the men recounted what happened about how, you know, this guy came saying they had good tidings for him, but that they didn't know what to do with them. And so they tied him up and Turin was angry and he was grieved. So he tended to Beleg with the skill that he had had. And, but interestingly here, this is where we start seeing Turin switch. So his maturity level, when it comes to emotions and understanding right from wrong, like he starts feeling remorse, not only for Beleg, who was tied up, his best friend was tied up and treated very poorly for the last couple of days, but he just made the connection with all the other strangers that they had waylaid or slain without need while he was with this company of outlaws. And he spoke to the company again. He said, cruel you were and without need, but to this orc work, such a life as we lead has brought us. He's pretty much saying like, yeah, this is, this is what happens if we keep going down this path. Lawless and fruitless, all our deeds have been serving only ourselves and feeding hate in our hearts. Yeah, and it's interesting that he uses the phrase orc work, because if you remember, Turin used that phrase earlier on when Seros came after him. And when he shouted, I think it was at Mablung at the time, when he said, like, orc work there was, but this is orc play. And so he's equating his own actions and deeds 
you know, since he's been with this company to what Sayros did to him as he was, you know, leaving Doriath or in the in the previous chapter or maybe two chapters, I don't remember. But yeah, it's interesting how he says that. And basically at this point, Androg speaks up and he's like, but whom shall we serve if not ourselves? Whom shall we love or whom shall we love when all others hate us? And Turin basically is like, I get it. That makes sense, but we're never going to raise our hands against Elfer Man again. Um, and at this point, Beleg is finally able to tell him the good tidings um, and how he's no longer he's no longer an outlaw of Doriath, and that he can come back, and that Nathan the Wronged is an is an unjust name for or an unfit name for somebody of his of his bearing. And he's like, you're not an outlaw. Come back um, to Doriath for the Dragon Helm of Dorloman has been sorely missed in the in the North Marches, which is where, you know, Beleg and and uh, Turin fought together. He's basically like, we need you, man. Like, come back. You're forgiven. You're pardoned. This wasn't your fault. The judgment has been, you know, switched. Come, come be part of us, our group again. And, you know, you would think that hearing that would bring Turin a lot of joy. That's kind of what Beleg was expecting as well. Hey man, I got this great news. Let's go. Everything's forgiven. And the news didn't actually bring Turin any joy. And instead, another shadow fell upon him. And he said that they needed to leave the cave soon and move on because they'd been in one place for too long. And this is interesting because a shadow came upon him. And it's not the first time that that's been mentioned. And it's not the last time that it will be mentioned. And I almost wonder if that's you know, Morgoth's curse to his father Hurin, um, that nothing that they try to do will go well. And so the shadow came across across Turin. And so the next morning he tells uh Belleg, he's like, All right, I'm not gonna go with you. Um, we need to get out of here. You're welcome to come with us. And Belleg, in the manner of the old elves, he healed incredibly quickly. So You'd think after a couple of days of being tied to a tree and not eating or drinking, you wouldn't heal super quickly, but Beleg rebounded really fast. Um, and so Turin's like, all right, cool. He's good to go. Let's get out of here. And he hawks back and forth and Beleg tells, tells him, he's like, hey man, Mablung um, provided a, an accurate testimony of what happened and you're, you're still forgiven. And it's interesting because Turin basically says like, Oh, so Mablung turned to be, or turned out to be my friend after all, which if you remember, Mablung is the one that saw Turin last before Turin was like, I'll kill you all if you try to take me, but I'm running away. And he's like, Oh, he proved to be my friend. And Beleg just responds. He's like, well, rather a friend of truth, which is the same thing that, that Mablung said in front of in front of King Thingle. And so as they're talking, Beleg kind of realizes we're not we're not getting Turin to to leave. He's he's going to stay here and he kind of tells him he's like, "Man, you've become a very stubborn and hard man." And even in saying all this, he's he tells I think he's trying to appeal to Turin's younger side in a way and he's like, yeah, and part of your your judgment was switched because of Nellas, and and she gave te- eyewitness testimony of what actually happened. And Turin, because he's become this hard man, he's like, I don't even remember Nellas. Who in the world is that? And um, and and Beleg is basically like, how do you how do you not remember? You spent a ton of your childhood walking through the forest with her and everything. And at this point, um. You know, Turin decides, cool, I'm pardoned, but I'm an affair free. And even though um, that grace has come to me, it probably won't come to my outlaw friends. Like, if you remember, Turin was the only man that was welcomed in Doriath. And so he's like, I'm I'm now responsible for these men. I, I've grown to love them, even the worst of them a little bit, you know. So I'm responsible for these men. And even though I'm pardoned, they won't be. So I think he's kind of conflicted. I don't think he wants to leave because he wants to be his own captain and master, but he also feels responsible for these men. Yeah, and it's interesting. Beleg's talk, talking to him. He's like, well, why do you guys want to stay with him? And and Turin said that there's good in each of them, and that good may grow. And Beleg was like, well, but if you try to wean them from evil, because they've been that all they've known is evil their entire lives, like the things that Forweg would let them do, the things that Androg would let them do, they've only known evil. And so Beleg says, if you try to wean them from evil, 
they're going to fail you. Like you're going to be disappointed in the, in, in the result you get. And again, this is where turns maybe one of his anger spikes and it upsets him. And he responded like, well, how can an elf judge men? Like, come on, we're, we're two different types of people. Like we can, they can be good again. Trust me. And so Balog, he, he backed up again and he's like, okay, well, where do you intend to go? Where do you intend to lead this company? And so Turin shared that he wished to lead the company just away. He wants to make his own way and that, you know, his heart has changed, that he repented of every stroke of sword except for the ones of enemies of the elves and men. And then again, Turin's like, but I'd like you to be with me. Like, you can be my second in command of these outlaws. Let's go fight these orcs. Let's go, you know, attack Morgoth in our own way. And Beleg has another great response, very wise. He says, if I stayed beside you, love would not lead me or love would lead me, not wisdom. So then they have some good dialogue about um, what's going on. And Belag even agreed at one point to stay with them. He's like, okay, fine, I'll agree with you. But they couldn't agree on where to go. Because again, Belag is like, let's go back to uh, Dimbar. Let's go back to these North Marches and start fighting. You can bring your outlaw friends. They can help us out. And Turin's like, no, I can't go back there. Like, that'd be going backwards in my life. So that's not what I'm going to do. And so they decided to part ways. They decided to say goodbye the next day. And Turin said that he planned to go to Amunrud. And if Beleg decided to stay by his side, that's where he was going to be. But nevertheless, they departed. And Beleg went back to Menegroth and told Thingol and Melian all that had happened. So he, he mentioned how he found the outlaws, he, the, the conversation he had with Turin. But interestingly enough, he left out all the evil handlings of Turin's men. So he didn't mention being tied up and not been given food or water for two days. So he still has a lot of respect for Turin and... You know, if Turin ever did want to bring his outlaws back, he's painting them in a better light. You know, he's making sure that yeah, he's not throwing them under the yeah, bus. Yeah, <laughs> he's making sure that Thingol and Melian have a have a good thought of Turin and his men. So Melian, she thanks Belag for his service, and she gave him a familiar gift that we might be know from Lord of the Rings, Lembus bread, which Melian was the one who came up with Lembus bread. She created Lembus bread, and she told him that he may use this waybread as he chooses and give it to whom he will. And then Tolkien said this, and nothing did Melian show greater favor to Turin than in this gift. For the Eldar had never before allowed men to use this waybread and seldom did again. Of course, we know when that last time was, was with Galadriel and the Fellowship of the Ring, which interestingly enough, Nellas, or not Nellas, uh, Melian, she taught Galadriel how to make this Lembus bread. So pretty cool full circle tie-in, but we'll see... Oh, yeah. We'll see in the next chapter um, how important this really is for Beleg and, and Turin. So Beleg decided he would stay in and return to Dimbar and fight the North Marches and fight against Morgoth. But when winter came and the fighting was stayed a little bit, he decided to leave. And his companions there, they saw him no more. So this is where the, the chapter kind of ends off. A, very, a lot happens in this chapter, and yet not very much. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting to me how like he departed from his friends on the North Marches because you think he's he's fought with these elves. He's good friends with these elves. And and at one point um, when the winter came and the fighting stopped, because historically speaking, most wars aren't fought during the winter because it's just harder on, you know, to keep people fed and warm and alive um, while you're trying to kill each other, I guess. It's a death sentence um, for both sides. And I guess middle Exactly. And I guess Middle Earth or the uh, Larian where they're at right now is no different. And they basically just say, like, Beleg left. I mean, he was good friends with all these guys and they woke up one morning like, where the hell, where the heck is this guy? And and Turin, um, that place that Sam had mentioned, Amon Ruth, is uh, like a little mountain that Turin is trying to set up shop in, basically. Yeah. And so that's where we'll pick up uh, next week. But like I said, I mean, a lot happens in the sense that Turin has a lot of internal uh, thoughts going on. He figures out what he was doing was wrong. He has a moral compass and now he's a leader again and he's leading this company of outlaws. And it gets really interesting this next chapter, just where he decides to take them, as Seth mentioned, and also Beleg too, because he's still a very big player moving forward in this book. It shows kind of the progression of Turin from this hothead arrogant guy to being able to lead for the first time in his life he's never he's never led and now he's become a leader and he feels responsible for other people but he's starting to progress um in who he wants to be and how he wants to make war against morgoth yeah definitely well 
I hope you guys are able to continue reading along with us. But until then, Gondor calls for aid. So we are breaking into the halls of Metacell, and we're shouting, Gondor calls for aid. Will you, Rohan, answer? So if you enjoyed the podcast, please light a beacon by sharing it with fellow friends and fans. Also, obviously, don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review. Let's add another couple of reviews on there. We'll read them here on the podcast. Also, share a Tolkien story or share your thoughts on Children of Purin. You can email me those at weckpodcast at gmail.com, podcast at gmail.com, and we will read whatever comes in there on the podcast. And we want to be doing this together. We don't want to be reading this book in isolation. So let us know your thoughts. But next week, we'll be joining into Chapter 7 of Children of Purin. This is of Mim the Dwarf. So thank you again for joining us for some well-earned comforts. Until then, we bid you a very fond farewell. Okay, I'm just going to restart. This is... <laughs> it's this hard is, to pick this up. It's weird to just jump in, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>